0: Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I want to say, first off, thank you. Uh, those of you that know, some of you know, that uh, our youngest daughter, Claire, she's she just turned 12. Uh, she had ACL repair surgery on Wednesday, and uh, so thank you guys for those of you that have been praying. Thanks for the many check-ins and seeing her condition. The surgery went really well. Uh, pain management since surgery has been a little harder, um, but she does seem to be on the upswing and uh, is is doing better. But Wednesday, when we went in for uh, for the surgery early, it was about seven o'clock in the morning, um, and and really the whole day as we were approaching it, it was a bit more charged. For Sarah and I. Um, We've got four kids. For those who don't know, again, Claire's the youngest. Uh, Each of them have had their bumps and their bruises and their brushes with danger. Uh, That just kind of comes with the territory when you're a kid. But Claire has had the most, okay? She just, she wins that award. Um, And really from the very earliest part of her life, she was born a bit of a preemie, uh, spent her first week of life in the NICU. And uh, then when she was about six months old, she developed a cold that persisted long enough that the doctor said, "Yeah, bring her in." Went to the emergency room, and then she was admitted for a couple days. And so she had to spend, uh, you know, a day and a half, two days in uh, the hospital. And as she was being checked out for discharge, we thought, "Okay, we've we've dealt with that; everything's good." She was being checked out for discharge, and a very skilled nurse noticed that her little body was responding oddly, and she recognized that she was having a seizure. She was, this little six-month-old was was seizing, even though it just looked like nothing to to her mom and I. And and so, in order to help treat the seizure, uh, they eventually, pretty quickly, they sedated her. And then not long after the sedation kicked in, um, before we knew it, that sedation led to her stopping breathing. And all of a sudden, we're in the room, and the words code are being thrown around, and in that time, you know, we were thrust into what was, for Sarah and I, just a desperate situation. Now, she's 12 years old, right? So the story ends, ends okay. Um, but, but whether you can relate to that kind of story for a child of your own or a child that you know or, or because of another situation, I, I think all of us have some sense of what it is to be desperate. Right? There's a difference when you're, you're desperate. And uh, today, as we continue this science series, we're going to see what happens when you're desperate. Just, uh, I think, a a situation that, whether you believe this has anything to do with your life or not, we can all relate to just the desperation. The Bible will talk about it in terms that, again, any of us could relate to. But we'll see what happens when you're desperate, but we'll see also how Jesus responds to desperation and the role that desperation plays in life with Christ. And so, just... By way of review, I want to go back and remind us the purpose of John's gospel, Okay, the purpose of this series, is summed up for us by John. At the very end of his gospel, he writes this in John 20, verse 31, uh, talking about the, the miracles that he shows us. He says, These signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what we've said over the last two weeks is that his signs are intended to help us believe that Jesus is uniquely qualified to give us life. Okay, so as we're going through and we're looking at these different miracles that Jesus has done, we, we're acknowledging, we're, we're proclaiming that these things are intended to change something about what we know of Jesus and help us understand that he's uniquely qualified to give us life. Um, and, and what we're doing as we look at each of these signs, they're helping us develop a picture of what this life is. Is like. And so last week, the first sign we looked at from John 2 was uh, a wedding. It was at a wedding. Jesus goes to a wedding, turns water into wine, okay, makes a, a, a pretty good party that was on the verge of disaster, a really great party, saves the day, but also we talked about the transformation that he wants to do in each of us. From that time, he makes his way out of uh, Galilee, which is his kind of hometown. And from there, he makes about a, a three or four day, 60 or 70 mile walk. Um, journey, okay, by, by foot, about a three or four day walk to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's a time of Passover for the Jewish people. And, and we don't hear about any other signs during that particular time. John doesn't tell us about any particular signs, but he does tell us this in John chapter 2. He says, while he was in Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. And okay, so what happens is that 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 one sign at the wedding kicks off the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's doing some of these things. But, but notice what's the result? It's that very thing that John said he wanted us to do, which is that people are believing in Jesus' name. Okay, so he's there in Jerusalem, he's doing some signs, and while he's there, he has a very memorable encounter with a guy named Nick at night. And they, uh, and, and you know, so this is a good time. Sorry, that was my best pastor joke, one of my favorite ones, okay? Um, yeah, good. Uh, the guy was named Nicodemus, comes to him at night. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the chuckles. Uh, on his way back to Galilee, okay, from, from there, Jesus and the disciples, they take an unexpected route, and he has this unexpected encounter with a Samaritan woman. And the result of meeting this woman and interacting with her is that all kinds of people come to believe that Jesus is, in, in the words of John, the Savior of the world. So so people are believing. Nick is starting to believe, but people in Jerusalem have believed, and now the people in Samaria are believing. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And from there, and it's it's kind of a loop, because he he was in Galilee, and he makes his way to Jerusalem, and now he's making his way back um, to his hometown. And and what we find there is we make our way into John chapter 4, is that the reception is curious, but uncertain. And this is where we pick things up, and we're going to meet a man who is in desperation. Okay, man in desperation. So John chapter 4 is where we are. Verse 46 says this. He went again, speaking of Jesus, he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, He went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, since he was about to die. Okay, so what's going on here? First off, the very obvious, there is a son who is ill, right, on the verge of death. That's the desperate situation. Son is ill on the verge of death, and dad, as you can imagine, is desperate. But I want you to notice some things about dad. About this official. First, what's his status? It it tells us he is a royal official. And in this time, he's likely a royal official in the court of Herod Antipas. Now, Herod's not actually a king. He kind of acts like a king. But he answers to the emperor. But he's he's an uppity. I mean, he's in this upper crust of Roman society. He's he's on the, the, the in crowd, the A list. And so here's this royal official. And he's the one who is desperate. And then where does this take place? Well, it takes place back in Galilee, but it says that his son is ill in Capernaum. So this man lives in Capernaum. Capernaum is, is a, you know, a decent city, not a, the biggest city, but a decent city. Galilee is not. You're talking about a small town, backwater. I mean, this is, this is nothing fancy about Galilee. If you're a royal official, you only go to Galilee because something's wrong and you've got to fix it. And in this particular case, something is wrong and it needs fixing, but that's not why this guy's coming to visit. Generally, he's not making his way down into Galilee. There's no reason for it, but he does. In fact, he goes to him and the distance is about 15 miles, which means it's a one-day trip from Capernaum there into Galilee. So this man sets out on a one-day journey because he hears Jesus, this guy who's been doing signs in Jerusalem, he hears that maybe that, that he's close. And so what does he do? He makes the journey, and then we're told that this man, this royal official, upper crust guy, who's now traveled a day's journey, he comes to Jesus, and he pleads with him. So the first thing I want us to see is that when you're desperate, right? Again, this is not just in the Bible, but just as humans. When you're desperate, you grow humble. When things are desperate, you grow humble. Perspective. When we talk about perspective, that's... that's I was listening to something this week. Perspective is really about proximity and importance. Think about that. Perspective is about knowing how things affect other things. Seeing some way in which, how does this impact that? But perspective is also about the relative importance of one thing to another. You have perspective, you're saying, okay, I know how these things impact each other, but I also have some sense of this is why that thing's important or more important or less important than that other thing. And when you're desperate, things that once seemed very important, like status and convenience, those things grow much smaller in significance. That's what happens here, and that's what happens for most of us. When you get to the point where all you need is a sliver of hope, you grow humble. It's just the way it tends to go. Look how the story progresses. Verse 48, man has come and pleaded with Jesus, and Jesus responds. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Now, notice first, how does Jesus respond? He, he says, unless you people believe. He responds with a rebuke. Another rebuke. You were here last week, or listened from last week. Jesus' own mother comes to him in a a difficult situation, appeals to him. And Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes her. I mean, gentle, but he rebukes her. And, and here is another rebuke. And it's not necessarily just for this man. In fact, it says, you people, right? So he, he's, he's really addressing the crowd in response to this man. So this man's coming, and he's pleading on behalf of his son, and Jesus uses this as a time to address the entire crowd. Remember, they're curious but uncertain about this guy. They're skeptical of one of their own actually being special, right? I mean, Jesus, okay, prove it to us. Really? Prove it. But, but what is up with this? Why is Jesus responding like this? Well, I think I want to take a look at another, without preaching into a whole other sermon, but take a look at another similar situation that I think helps shed some light, give us a, a fuller understanding of why does Jesus seem to keep responding like this? Matthew chapter 15. There's a situation, Jesus has been doing some ministry. It says in verse 21, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Okay. Again, this in and of itself, whole other story we could jump into and all kinds of cool things going on here. But but I want you to notice. Not just one, but two rebukes. And whether he's, he addresses the woman initially with his, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, there, there's two, he's rebuffing her. He doesn't listen to her initially. He's rebuffing her. Why? Notice, though, in the face of these rebukes, the woman, like the official and like Mary at the wedding, just leans in more. She's not put off. She just leans in more, just like, This official who's desperate for his son. They just lean in. And what we find, not just here in these examples we've looked at, but throughout Jesus' ministry, it's actually pretty common for him to reply like this. Why? You know, I mean, is this just, you know, pastor speak and I'm up here defending Jesus being a jerk to people? Is that what's going on? It's a fair question because we we look at this and kind of go, what's the deal? Here's what I think is going on. If we really look at the, the full picture. What's going on here is that I believe these are a kind of test. And they're a test not because Jesus doesn't know what's going on with this woman. Not because he doesn't know what's happening with the royal official's son. The scriptures tell us that Jesus does. He knows what's in people's heart. There's all kinds of occasions where he knows, thing, even that woman that he met in Samaria, he knows all kinds of things about her life and she's blown away. Why would you know this? So I don't think Jesus is in the dark as far as what this woman wanted when she comes and pleads on behalf of her daughter or what this man wants when he comes and pleads on behalf of his son. What I think is happening here is that this is a way, Jesus uses these occasions to reveal the hearts and the needs of the people coming to him, not to them but to the people around, to the crowd that's around at that time, and to us, who are the crowd around whenever we read what has happened. See, Jesus is, he could have just dealt with this one person, with them, but in many of these occasions, he, he leans in, he, he rebukes, he rebuffs a little bit, they lean in because they need him, and then what happens is now everybody knows what's going on and not only do they know what's going on but they see somebody with faith in humility continue to pursue him and so in both cases in all these cases really we see that when you're desperate you grow humble but you also grow bold you also grow bold humility gives way to boldness I've heard it said, and I've I've shared here at different times, you know, that most of us are willing to serve right up to the point that we're treated like a servant. You know, you're glad to be known as a servant until somebody treats you like a servant. The man, that man, this official, he was willing to cross the distances of status and proximity and convenience and humble himself before Jesus. But when treated like a needy person, he doesn't snap back into self-importance. Whoa, whoa, who who are you talking to? You know I'm a royal official. No. Instead, he maintains his humble posture, but he continues to plead with Jesus, boldly pressing in, recognizing the depth of his need and the hope of Jesus' power. So again, let's look at how... The situation goes down. We'll go back to verse 49 because I want you to see the ways in which remember, I see again how the official responds. He says, Sir, come down before my boy dies. You can hear. Again, there's there's a humility, there's a pleading, but he just leans in and boldly says, Jesus, I need you to do something. How does Jesus respond? Go. Jesus told him, Your son will live. And the man believed that what Jesus said to him and departed. A couple things to note here. First, he responds to Jesus, the man says to Jesus, Sir. And there's reasons it's translated sir, and that, that's fine. But the same word sir here, it, it's a Greek word kyrios. It's the same word that is translated Lord when the woman responds to Jesus. She says, Lord, I you know, I need you to help my daughter. And so the point here is the man's attitude is not just polite respect. You know, well, I'm seeking your help, so I will call you sir and be polite. No, this is acknowledgement of power. And he's humble and he's bold because he recognizes that Jesus is calling the shots. Which becomes even more clear in Jesus' response to him. Again, this man leans in, he pleads, and how does Jesus respond? Go. Your son will live. Note something we already went past. Two different times, the man comes and he pleads with Jesus. And in both occasions, the man has a certain idea of how this is all supposed to go down because he says the words, Come down. He's gone to Jesus and he says, Come down with me. So, what he has in mind, okay, I want you to remember his son is what? He's on the verge of death. Time is critical. His son is about to die. There is no time, okay, no time for this man to get, and I think this is is part of why the man doesn't, when he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, he doesn't maybe immediately go to Jerusalem because it's farther away, probably a two- or three-day trip from where he was. And so if he makes the two- or three-day trip and then has to bring Jesus back another two or three days, it's just not going to work. But here, now he finds out, wait, Jesus has come close. One day, one day down, maybe one day back, maybe there's enough time and my son can be saved. Because he thinks that the only way for Jesus to heal him is to be by his son's side. Maybe, just maybe, there'd be time. He believes that Jesus' power is limited to proximity. But instead, Jesus says, go. Go. Your son will live. Again, this man had a plan. I'll go down for a day. I'll bring Jesus back. Maybe we'll get there. Jesus says, go. Can you imagine the difficulty of that moment? Again, he has a category for a healer coming to his son's bedside, laying hands and doing something amazing. He he has a category for that. He's desperate. He's hoping that can take place. But this is altogether different. And think about this. What if it didn't happen? Jesus says, go. What if he goes and a day later he gets back to his son and his son is still sick? Does he have time to say, okay, I'm going to make the trip back and really plead maybe better, be more, you know, plead even more, and maybe now Jesus will actually make the trip with me. There's so much hanging in the balance here. But what does the official do? With his son's life, hanging in the balance? The man believed what Jesus said to him. And departed. The headline here, okay, let's not miss this. The headline here is the goodness and power of Jesus. Full stop. But it is okay to be a bit bowled over by this daddy caring for his son. God uses this man, He uses this man to show us that when you're desperate, you not only grow bold, grow humble, and you not only grow bold, but when you're desperate, you're prepared for dependence. Now, I, wanna, I want you to notice the change there. Maybe you already did, but I, I said you're prepared, not you grow dependent. I think that's because uh, I, the reason uh, I, I thought this was important to note is that desperation almost always create some kind of humility and boldness that that's pretty much standard but it doesn't necessarily turn into dependence in the case of the official it did which we see even more clearly as we finish john's report on the situation verse 51 says while he was still going down his servants met him saying that his boy was alive and he asked him at what time he got better Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. And the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. There's a shift here. He believed, I mean, it's phenomenal. He believed that Jesus was telling the truth when he told him, go, your son will live. He he believed Jesus was telling the truth. But he shifts from that, from believing that Jesus is telling the truth, he learns that Jesus can be trusted for life. It's one thing to think Jesus is telling the truth. It's another thing to trust Jesus for life. But I want to ask, this, this question rattled around as I was reading through this this week, how... Okay, the the man lives a day away. He's sent away. How did John know that this official and his family had believed? How how did they know that all of this had taken place? The man departed. He, He traveled back home. He's a royal official. He's got all kinds of important royal official duties to do. I think the only explanation is that the official or somebody that knows the official must have met up with them again and told them. And what is he telling them? Well, he's telling them that this man became a disciple. That's the report. He, he believed. He would already believed Jesus about his son coming back to life. What does it mean here, here that he believed? It means he believed in the name of Jesus, just like John wants us to do. And what we see here is that his desperation had shifted. His desperation had developed into dependence. See, when Jesus healed the official son, he demonstrated that receiving life from Jesus means trusting Jesus with your living. There's a difference. I want to explain the difference, but before I explain the difference, and we talk about what all this means for us today, practically, I want you to take a look at something. And now, as you look at this very relaxed little frog, I want everybody, really, I want you to take a deep breath. (sighs) Okay? Maybe you need another one. Here we go. (sighs) And Why do I have you looking at a silly little frog in a bathtub, taking a deep breath? Because here's the thing. You and I can't be desperate all the time. You just can't. Obviously, some of us, whether because of our jobs or the time, place, or circumstances in which we live, we have to endure more stress more often than others. That's that's the reality. But it's not good to be on constant high alert. There's a reason the Lord makes us to need sleep. There's a reason that he designed this idea of a Sabbath psalm 127 2 says he gives his beloved rest we can't always be on high alert it's important that we understand something of desperation but desperation is the exception dependence should be the rule so what's the difference receive life from jesus trust in jesus with your living see we talk about receiving life from Jesus, we're talking about a recognition of desperation. And depending on your background, depending on what you know of Christianity, what experience you've had with, with Christianity or with explanations of who Jesus is and what he's all about, it, I think there, there's, it's right and good for us to acknowledge that part of what Jesus has come, himself, has taught, okay? this isn't just a bunch of you know, blood-hungry, blood-thirsty Christians who have a really whacked-out view of, of life. No, Jesus himself teaches that, that we are in a desperate position. And so part of receiving life from Jesus is that we avoid, it's, it, he is our hope to avoid hell, to avoid eternal separation from our creator. That's a reality, and that is a desperate situation. But very often, that's the only view, that's the only picture we have of what it means To be a Christian or or be some kind of church going folk is that well we just got to escape something. We need to receive Jesus so I can just escape that for way on down into the future, and then I'll just go about kind of doing my life the way I decide to do my life, knowing that I've got this insurance so to speak that will take care of things when things get really really bad after I die. And it's just a distortion it's not altogether untrue again we find ourselves in a desperate place because of our rebellion against our creator that's that's the teaching that's what jesus teaches that's what the bible teaches us god shows us that's the plight of all humanity but jesus wants to move us from desperation to dependence to move us from receiving life from jesus to trusting jesus with our living that's about dependence Again, it's not simply about avoiding something. It's about pursuing, about living out the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's what Jesus calls his people to do. This, this official, his, his desperation was taken care of, but then he believed. He, he moved from just being in this desperate spot with his son to then being in a spot where he and his entire family were going to walk and follow after Jesus. He's trusting Jesus with his living. So what does that look like? How do we live out dependence and I just want to briefly hit on a couple of pieces of ancient wisdom I think give us a really clear picture uh, begin to show us what is this this kind of life look like Proverbs sixteen three 3 says commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established and then th- Psalm 37 5 through 6 says commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act okay so three words here just very quickly First commit, both, same word, both verses. Commit, this word commit means to roll. It comes from a word that means to roll. To roll the thing or roll yourself onto something else. And then what are we to, to commit or to roll? We're to roll our activities and your way. Right? That is, roll what you do, your activities, it could be your work, but just what you do, and your way, how you do those things. The word way here, it's the idea of a road. You're walking down a road. This is is the way I go about doing the things that I'm doing. And so what does this look like to commit your activities and your way? What does it look like in your, your finances, in your friendships, in marriage, in parenting, in work, in school, in ministry? What it means is that what we do in these realms and how we do it depends on God. It's guided by what God has said, just like the official. God has said something, and then we then do what he says. And so it means that we learn of God's priorities, and then we learn of his ways, right? What, what do we do? God, what do you think is most important? And then how do you tell me to do the things you say are most important? And, and, and here's the great thing. A lot of the things that we think are important, God also agrees. He's the one that made, made us to, to have to do them. He thinks your work is important. He thinks your family is important. He even thinks that your recreation is important in its proper place. But we find out how does God prioritize these things, and then how does he say to approach these things? And then we depart. We believe that God will work. Friends, Jesus is the ultimate stronghold. He is the Son of God and the Messiah. He is the Savior and King. He is fully God and fully man. As I I mentioned in the video I sent out to those of you that get our weekly updates, he is a strong tower and a safety rope. He protects us and he guides our steps. That's what it means to roll our lives onto him. Roll our activities and our ways onto him. Hebrews 4 tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is speaking of Jesus. But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Sometimes your need is desperate. This was the case for the official. That was the case for Sarah and I when our little, little girl was crashing because of what turned out to be low sodium levels. But here's the key question for you and for me. Even when you're not desperate, even when you're not desperate, will you depend upon Jesus? How do we do that? Well, again, borrowing from Hebrews 4 here, I think prayer is one of the most basic ways that we express dependence. Prayer is a response of desperation. but It is also a way in which we express dependence upon the Lord. And Jesus himself modeled this kind of dependent living upon his Father. And so that's why I've given you that little card in the program there, the Lord's Prayer Hexagon. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I can do a whole, We've done a whole sermon just talking through this. But it's just a way, something that didn't originate with me, but that I've kind of developed and, and has been helpful over the years. Of, of thinking about and kind of breaking down what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching us the priorities in prayer. It's not, I mean, you can memorize it and that's fine and good, and I would encourage you to do that, but, and maybe some of you did. If you, you know, part of my story is before I ever trusted Jesus, I learned the Lord's Prayer just because we prayed it before baseball games, right? I mean, it was, just, it was just a thing to do. But this is Jesus telling us this is how you depend upon your Heavenly Father. It's, and so I offer it to you as a tool, as a way to make God your first resort, not just the last resort. I want to address, if you're here and you've been walking with God for a while, and a while could be, you know, a couple weeks, could be decades. If you're here, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. Again, we can't be desperate all the time. And so it's okay if you, you don't feel desperate. You know, there's sometimes we sing songs and they, they have this edge of desperation to them, and that's okay. And sometimes we, we feel bad because, like, well, they're singing this desperation, and I just don't feel very desperate, and that's okay. A lot of times we sing things and they're aspirational because we, we know what it is to be there and because other people may need that in that moment. So it's okay to not feel desperate, but I want you to be, I just want to warn you and, and, and encourage you, be careful of certainty leading to cynicism. Author Dave Harvey helpfully notes that desperation for God increases with the uncertainty in our lives. But as we get older, either in years or experience, you know, we get a sense of how things will go. And here's the deal, that's not necessarily bad. In fact, this is a component of wisdom, right? We, we learn how things tend to work. We know how to then form helpful strategies and responses. That's, that's part of wisdom, biblical, godly wisdom. But there's a razor edge where certainty gives way to cynicism. We're not only not desperate, right? we get to that spot, you're not only not desperate, but you lose any sense of wonder. And so we, we know what to expect, and we, we've learned to keep our expectations so low that we don't really need the Lord for living. I'm just just kind of going, put my head down, just kind of keep on keeping on, and I don't do anything that actually requires trusting the Lord. You say, well, how do you know when you're there? For me, the way it looks is prayerlessness. I know I'm not depending upon God, because I'm not even talking to him with any sort of real regularity, and not in any sense where I'm actually wanting him to inform and help me really understand my life. I'm just... I already know kind of what to expect just going through the motions. So I want to encourage you, don't let certainty devolve into cynicism. If you're here and and you say, you know what, I'm not so sure what I think about Jesus. You know, last week I mentioned that part of what God calls us to do is to taste and see, to to get a a little taste of who he is and and see what he's all about. And and so today, similarly, I want to invite you, to roll your life onto God. You say, well, I'm not not ready for that. I say, maybe, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll get there in a second. But maybe you're here. Maybe the last couple weeks you've been listening, and today's the day when you are ready to transfer your trust to Jesus. I would say, man, we want to celebrate. We want to help you. Because if you're here, and that's you, if there are people who are here who have trusted Christ, there was a point in time, just like there was a point in time for me, where you said, you know what, God, no, I really do, I believe this. And sometimes it looks like a a long, I mean, that, that point in time is like a long period of time, and that's okay, but there's a point where you go, no, Jesus is the Lord, I'm going to believe just like this official believed. So if that's you, we want to help you get started. But if you're still exploring, if you're still wondering, if you're still in some kind of period where you're not sure, man, we're so glad you're here. You're in good company. Again, there's no pressure in this. But as I've said before, we want something for you, not from you. But I still want to invite you to roll some part of your life onto God. Perhaps it's only, it's simply to just keep coming back. Maybe that's the way you you begin to trust him. I'm just going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep looking into who is this Jesus? What is he all about? What does this life that he's offering really look like? Maybe part of that then instead is to just read the gospel yourself, the, the gospel of John yourself. Maybe it's meeting with a friend that invited you here to read and talk through John. Or let me know. I would love to meet with you. Okay? I mean, it, there's any number of things, but how does trust develop? It develops by trusting. It develops by taking a step of trust and then seeing what happens. So I want to encourage you to take that kind of step. And then finally, for our students here, you know, I've started to talk to you guys directly. I, I want you to know, Jesus loves you and he loves your parents. And their faith is meant to play a major part in yours. But their faith is not yours. You've learned over time how to depend on your parents. That's part of what God wanted you to do is learn how to depend on your parents. But at the same time, you have to learn to depend on Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're, you know, at that, this age where you have questions about how or why or what that means, wrestle those down. God is not afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid of your questions. The church is not afraid of your questions. We are not going to be a church where people have to go, yeah, I asked a question, but I don't think they really, they just told me to just, just believe and don't bother with that. No. It's not the way it works, because if it's true and it's real, then our questions aren't scary. We'll get to the bottom of them, and we'll find that at the bottom, God is still good. So students, don't push that off. Don't, "Ah, I just need to keep going through the motions, and someday I'll figure, no. Lean in and get answers to the questions that you have. When you've been there, you know, desperate is a scary place to be. It was the day that Claire crashed. But in desperation, we can learn dependence. And as the official learned, there's no one more dependable than Jesus. Commit your way to him. Boldly approach him. He can be trusted to give you life and to guide your living. Let's pray together. Father, you blow me away. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way in which you wisely and just unexpectedly teach us and and show us things that are both so obvious and so normal and yet are also unexpected and incredible. I pray for us that you would help us to learn dependence. God, I don't want for anybody here to be in a desperate situation. But we also acknowledge that that's the nature of, excuse me, of the life that we live. At times we'll find ourselves in these desperate situations. I pray, Lord, that you would use the stuff of life to teach us dependence. God, guide us. Help us to trust you with our living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.